0: Hello and welcome to episode 98 of Inside the WDF with me, Andrew Sinclair. It was a rare weekend of no WDF ranking action last weekend, but thankfully there was still a lot of darts going on around the world. The Irish uh, National Darts Organisation in the Republic of Ireland had their annual match play, uh, which were won by Robin Byrne and David Concannon, who were both part of the national team. Uh, the Scottish Darts Association ran a ranking event with Nicky Danoon and Lorraine Hyde winning. Dutch Darts Federation, they had their national championships. The ADC ran a really good-looking weekend in Bristol. And, of course, there was the World Seniors Championship on the telly box, which I enjoyed watching. There are two guests on this week's show, Alexander Merks and Wendy Harper. First up is Alexander, who joined the show to discuss winning two events on the WDF circuit this year, and why he's now chasing a maiden World Championship appearance. I'm now delighted to be joined by a man who's won two WDF events this year, Alexander Merckx. Alexander, how are you?
1: I'm fine, thanks for asking. How about you?
0: I'm very well, thank you. Nice to to get you on the show after the the first six months of the, the year you've had so far. We'll touch on the event wins in a little bit, but something I do with most first-time guests on the show. How did you get into darts originally?
1: Um, I started playing darts when I was nine years old. It was just uh, some practicing at home, getting to know the darts with my father. And then I was when I was 11 years old, I started playing tournaments, yeah, youth, youth tournaments uh, throughout uh, the Netherlands. Uh, and so on, I started playing more, started playing more... Um, Played some uh, senior tournaments, competition, and at the age of 22 I started playing video uh, tournaments.
0: So when you were, you were growing up, or you were sort of 9, 10, first getting into the game, was your, yeah. da- was your father your biggest darting inspiration, or was it one of the Dutch players on TV?
1: Uh, it was one of the Dutch players on TV, because uh, the year I started playing darts, Raymond van Barneveld won the embassy, and that was actually the guy I started looking up to when I play dart hmm.
0: and have you had the, the chance to play Barney over the years no <laughs> so that's a dream match for you then
1: yeah maybe maybe
0: and in terms of competitions and leagues and so on what's the the darting scene like in the, the Brabant region where you're from um,
1: there are a lot of tournaments in the weekend uh, we play competition um, during the week so it's one day a week usually Friday for me We play competition and then in the weekends, uh, once or twice a month, it's Super League. Hmm. Uh, But the Super League, we play throughout the whole country.
0: You sort of alluded to this already. You played in your first WDF tournament 10 years ago at the the Dutch Open, uh, but really started doing the tour tour more seriously about five years ago. What was it that prompted you to to start travelling and doing the tour more fully?
1: Uh, because uh, in our neighbourhood I started winning a lot of tournaments um, and everybody said to me you have to go and play VDF tournaments, uh, or then it was video tournaments. Um, you have to compete with better players and start uh, yeah, playing them. And that's why I made the decision to go and play a few tournaments uh, in the first year. And then it became a lot more.
0: And how did you find those first few tournaments you travelled to outside of the Netherlands?
1: Just talking to some experienced players in the, in the, in the, in the neighbourhood. Um, also watching a lot on, on, on the internet, on Facebook. Um, I, I actually f- found a lot myself, actually.
0: So how was the, the actual experience of those tournaments when you got there? How did they compare to the, the darts you were used to at home?
1: Yeah, I was, I was a bit more nervous in those tournaments. Uh, usually I was uh, playing them alone traveling alone
2: um,
1: but um, yeah a little little further in the tour uh, you get to know some people and travel with a lot of other Dutch guys and teammates uh, who also wanted to travel um, and that made me uh, less nervous and the experience I got was already, was, was also very good
0: you were obviously, you say, you were travelling on your own for those tournaments. Were you self funding your trips as well at that point as well?
1: Yeah, I had a few little sponsors, but mostly I fund them myself. Mm-hmm. Still do, still yep. do fund them myself. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, now that you're travelling a lot this year, uh, are you still travelling on your own, or are there guys you're going with around normally?
1: Uh, one of my best friends is also travelling. Uh, with me a lot of times he's starting to pick up the darts now uh, for more seriously Um, and he's travelling a lot with me
0: do you find that makes it easier having someone to travel with regularly
1: yeah for me it is
0: 2019 was a a good year for you yeah you made your first WDF final at the Lithuanian Open what are your memories of that run and your final defeat to to Martin Barrett Uh,
1: tournament that we went to with a, with our whole uh, team of the Super League uh, so we were there with a lot of friends it obviously was was a, was a great time um, but I knew I was in a good form that that weekend I felt it um, but uh, all the way through the tournament uh, I showed that but in the, the final wasn't that good for me um, that's what I remember of it because it's already three years ago. So. <laughs> um, I, sh- I shot, uh, saw a picture today of that final. It was an average of 74 for me, I think. Really bad, but it was a very long day.
0: About three weeks after that run in Lithuania, you made your debut on the PDC European Tour at the, the Dutch yeah. Darts Masters. What did you take from that experience?
1: Um, yeah, it- I thought I was uh, playing really great uh, till that time. Um, it, was it was the best experience uh, I ever had in my life. Um, the biggest stage I played on, um, and actually the best moment maybe in my guarding career to play there against um, um But the the averages and, and the game wasn't that good. So I don't know um, if I should have felt great. Um, But it was a nice experience.
0: And I suppose once you'd played on that big stage and had that big experience, was that a motivation for you to say, I want to be doing more of this in the future?
1: Yeah, definitely was. But then the corona virus came and we couldn't play
0: darts for a little while. That's very true. Now, I remember watching your game on the Euro Tour when you played Glenn. And uh, on commentary, Dan Dawson said that Your nickname was Alexander the Great, which obviously is a historical figure. Um, Is that a nickname that you've always used, or did you pick it specifically for that European tour event?
1: Um, It's a nickname I used, but not a lot. And actually for the European tour event, um, I used it for the first time in in public. Hmm.
0: So was that a case that they asked you if you had a a nickname for the walk-ons and so on? Chasing that PDC tour card, I know, is something that you've been doing for a number of years. You went to Q School 2019, 2020 You went there this year as well, but in twenty twenty one, you you gave it a miss. Was that because of the restrictions at the time? Yeah, yeah, it was. But you were back this year and probably had your best Q School performance yet. Got through to that second stage, picked up a point, uh, and played some good darts. But it was still in that bubble environment Uh, how challenging did you find that sort of environment and setting for the days that you were there in Germany
1: Um, I thought it was very hard because I was uh, travelling all by myself Um, when I was not playing darts I was alone in my room uh, watching some Netflix watching some some movies being alone all that time and only playing darts and and, and, and eating in the restaurant and and then go back to your room was, was really hard for me a lot of alone time
0: Hmm. And did you feel that that dynamic and the fact that obviously you were spending a lot of time on your own? Did you feel that had an impact on your performances?
1: Yeah, maybe it was because because I played for my thing, I played I played some really good matches and some really good darts. So yeah, maybe it, maybe it was it was good being alone for the for the amount of time.
0: So as we've touched on already, you've. You've done the WDF Tour in the past, but this year you've really committed to it. You were in Hungary, Denmark, Lithuania, Switzerland, obviously the Dutch Open, the home event for you. And last weekend you were over in Romania. Was reaching the 2023 WDF World Championship a big goal of yours at the start of this year?
1: No, but never was. I first started playing Q school, that was my first goal. Um, and then my, my goals were playing some challenge tours, some Euro Tour yes. uh, But then, with the restriction, you know, I could I play, play also some uh, extra tournaments uh, between them. And I started playing Hungary for the first time, and I felt really great about the tournament, played really good DOS. And I was there with my best friend, and I said to him, um, Let's try to play some more WDF events. Uh, then went to uh, Denmark, picked up some points. And then I said to him, let's go to Lithuania. And after I won that tournament, um, I said, let's go all the way and let's play all the uh, most uh, WDF tournaments to try to qualify for the World Championship.
0: Obviously, you, you've touched on him a couple of times. What's the name of the, the best friend that you're travelling around with?
1: Uh, Niels Darts.
0: And uh, has Niels played darts a long time with you, or are you, were you more friends outside of darts?
1: Oh, no, we played football together, darts, uh, all kinds of things. We were in the same friend friend group. Uh, So I see him a a lot um, lot with darts, but also outside of the darts. And he's playing uh, now for 10 years, I think.
0: Nice. The win in Lithuania, obviously, was your first title overseas. And that seems to have been the the springboard for you doing the tour properly uh, this year and really chasing that world place. How do you reflect on that tournament win in Lithuania and the, the final win over Aaron Turner?
1: I felt really great that day. Yeah, Winning the, the, the quarterfinal, uh, I thought the semis were on stage uh, because I knew from the history of the video tournaments all the semifinals would be on stage. So I actually was really happy to play on the stage because that was a big goal for me when I came to Lithuania. Um, and then they told me the semis are not on the stage so you have to play one more and that sort of triggered me I had to play against Dennis Nielsen in the semis um, and with that trigger I won 4-1 to him I think and then I went all the way with a great feeling
0: yeah, of course two weeks after that you went over to Switzerland for the Swiss Open the Helvetia Open going into those events how much more confidence did you have in your own abilities and your game having won a title only a couple of weeks before
1: yeah, a lot because the week before uh, Switzerland Open, we played Super League. And I can remember the moment um, we all, we have a captain's choice, um, the last game. And for the first time in our Super League uh, team, because I play with, I don't know, I think, you know, I play with Jeffrey Sparidans, my mm-hmm. Super League team. And usually he plays the, the captain's choice when it's 5-4 uh, or or uh, for us or for the for the opponent and this time the captain puts me on 5-4 against Christian de Boer he's now in the Dutch squad mm-hmm. uh, for the Six Nations he played and I won that match with 4-3 with an average of 94 I think that also gave me a lot of confidence and then the next week I went to Switzerland with that confidence and won the tournament also.
0: Switzerland you had a, a good run on the, the Saturday in the Swiss Open and then won the Helvetia Open on the, the Sunday. Talk me through that run to the, the title on the Sunday.
1: Ooh, talk me to that run. Yeah, where shall I start? Um, some first, second, third round games were 4-0, um, 4-1. Uh, four four uh, I played the the youth champion of the day in the second round. Um, but during the tournament, I hadn't... I hadn't got the feeling uh, from the day before, uh, but as the tournament went further, um, I felt better and better and better and started playing better. Um, and then at the quarterfinals I beat Ben Hazel um, and then I knew I have a chance to win this. And I felt better and better and played the semifinals on the stage and I thought I lost because I missed one match. dot. And my opponent on stage also got a match out on the ball. Uh, when he missed and I checked, um, I felt so great playing the final. Yeah, that feeling uh, was amazing to already play the final. Uh, I got a lot of points uh, in, my, in my head. And then the final was great average for me. Uh, 93, I think. And I won it.
0: Nice win over Andy Bartons. I, I saw your yeah. Facebook post after the event. Uh, you just posted a photo of the, the trophy and just said, wow. What, what were the emotions when that double went in against Andy to, to win that second title?
1: The, the only thing I could do was smile. Nothing more. No, no cheering, just just smile. I was really, really happy.
0: And how do you feel in your game right now? Do you think the darts you've been playing over the last couple of months are the best you've ever played?
1: think so. Um, uh, I usually look to averages and stuff like that, but that confirms me in how I play. Um, and uh, when I see the first day in Romania, the averages I played um, in the last three matches were 90 or above, and that's maybe the best best I've played.
0: Those tournament wins in Lithuania and Switzerland have qualified you for the World Masters later this year. Is that a tournament you've played in before?
1: 2018, I think it was in Bridlington, yeah, four years ago. Mm.
0: And uh, this year it'll be in Assen in the the Netherlands, so you'll have the opportunity Uh to play in a a big event like that on home soil. What would that mean to have a good run there at home?
1: Yeah, that means very much because I already got a lot of uh, friends and family who want to go there to have a look. Uh, so, a good run for me would, would, would mean a lot.
0: You, you touched on playing in Romania last weekend. We were going to have a, a catch-up last week, but uh, you ended up having quite a few issues at Eindhoven Airport, didn't you?
1: Yeah. Um, the issues in the, the airports in the Netherlands are, are very bad right now. Uh, waiting lines uh, on Schiphol in Amsterdam and an Eindhoven could go up for 3 hours or 4 hours uh, at the moment so last week i was I was there about 3 hours before my flight um, and when we came there we had to we had to go to security but there was a line uh, all the way around the building uh, so uh, we were a bit uh, yeah a, 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 a bit fearful uh, for catching the flight but um we were about thirty minutes before it left, and it had some delay, so no problems, but that's the case right now in the Netherlands with the airports because they lack they have a lack of personal mm. so it will be for for Sweden open. I already booked uh, but I think we have to be there a bit earlier hmm. to secure secure our flight
0: Is the Sweden open weekend? Is that the next thing that you've got booked or is there anything else you've got lined up in the next few months? Uh,
1: Belgium, Belgium Open. Uh, I'm not going to England because I'm on holiday now, uh, then. Uh, I already booked that in January uh, because I never never thought of playing so well at the WDF. So I couldn't, yeah, I, I, I won't cancel my, my vacation, my holiday. Uh, so Antwerpen is the next one, the Belgian Open.
0: The, the WDF haven't officially confirmed this yet, but, you know, that the belief is that the World Championship will be at. Lakeside next year once again, uh, you said that your hero was was Raymond van Barneveld, so what what would it mean to you to qualify and get to walk out on that stage where obviously he enjoyed so much success as a player?
1: Yeah, I think that means the world to me. It was always a dream as a kid to play there Um, and talking about it right now already gives me goosebumps, so I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Well, perfect. If you... Carry on the way you're playing at the moment. I'm sure you'll be qualifying at the, uh, the end of the year. Thank you so much for your time tonight, Alexander. I really appreciate it. And I wish you all the best for the rest
1: of the year. You're welcome. Thank you very much.
0: It was nice to catch up with Alexander. He's someone that's impressed me a lot this year. He hadn't won a title before, before the start of this year. But he won one in Lithuania in May and then picked up the Helvisha Open a couple of weeks later. And as you heard him say, his confidence now is at an all-time high. Aside from those two title wins, he's also reached four other quarterfinals during the year, good runs in, in Denmark and Hungary. And at the moment, having filled all ten of his boxes, he's 26th in the men's rankings. However, uh, the bottom few boxes in his rankings are all lower scores. They're all sort of last 16s, last 32s. And with the way he's playing, you know, he got a final at the Dutch Nationals this past weekend... And he's got trips to Sweden and Belgium for all silver weekends. It's very likely that he'll be pushing further up the rankings as the year goes on. And, uh, you know, right now he's well on course to qualify for the world and getting that moment on the stage like his idol Barney did so many times over the years. Alexander, as he mentioned, won't be in action this weekend though as the tour resumes with the England Open weekend. This year the England Open has moved from Celsi to Breen Sands and with that move has come a drop in both prize money and grading. So the prize money, that's because the Celsi venue, which I really liked, they provided a large wedge of the sponsorship for the event which then went through to the prize money and they then decided after last year's event that they didn't want to be involved in, in sporting events anymore. They didn't want the darts there anymore, and they, they said, basically, you're not welcome back. The darts moved to Breen Sands, a venue they've used before, uh, but obviously Breen Sands aren't going to be putting their hand in their pocket in the same way as the Celsius venue used to. So that you know the prize money's lower this time round. There's no getting away from that, and with the lower prize money. The grading has dropped so the England Open is no longer a gold as it was last year when Brian Roman and Dieter Hedman won and I had a really good time down in Chelsea for that weekend actually last year. Instead this year it's a double silver with the England Open and England National singles both being silver graded. The Breen Sands venue isn't everyone's cup of tea if you're being perfectly honest. I've heard good over the years, I've heard bad, I've heard very bad but I haven't been myself so I can't pass judgment but that might have put some people off and I think maybe the lower status and the lower prize money is inevitably going to have affected numbers as well but I still think the numbers are reasonably good at the time of recording there are 265 men and 91 women registered for the England Open uh, which is nominally the bigger of the two Tournaments. I think the women's number is, is healthy-ish. I know England would have liked to crack the 100 mark. I think that would be a, a barrier for success, getting over 100 for for an event these days. But 91 isn't bad, and you have got some representation from overseas. There's Priscilla Steinberg and Anka Vanessa Zweedema. So there are some ladies coming from overseas, which is good to see again. The men's at 265 is good, I think, and it's going to be a really competitive field looking at the names. But again, I know Tommy Thompson and the rest of the England board would have wanted more people, and I think perhaps expected to be closer to that 300 mark. As I say, it's going to be a very competitive field, particularly because it's a silver event. Being silver means there are only 16 seeds. And that means that a lot of great talent are going to be unseeded, uh, especially as seven of the the WDF top ten are all playing in the men's event. So it's a very strong set of seeds and also a very strong set of unseeded players. Of the seeds, I think the ones I will be keeping my eye on are Luke Littler because he's just flying at the moment. He's playing well everywhere he goes. Had his first trip overseas a couple of weeks ago to Romania, picked up a title there. Just been named in the England squad for the Europe Cup later this year and I could easily see him picking up a fourth career WDF title during the weekend in Breen Sands. Neil Duff, he had a couple of quarterfinals in Romania. The world champions not quite hit top gear since that magical week at Lakeside but I think he's bubbling away under the surface and I think that really good run is coming whether it's Breen Sands or whether it's a little bit later maybe it'll be the Australian Open I don't know but I think something's going to come from him this weekend. I think maybe a deep run, maybe a final, even if he doesn't win one of them. Uh, And the other two would be Andy Bartons. Um, Andy's a tremendous power scorer, really, really good player to watch. Not had the results that I think people thought he might on the tour after doing so well at the World Championships, or maybe not doing so well, but giving such a good account of himself uh but i think he could turn it on in Breen Sands if he, if he turns up in good form and the other one's yeller classen friends of the show over at the weekly darts cast had yeller on last week a really good interview and he was saying that you know after losing his pdc tour card his main priority was just getting his confidence back and enjoying darts again and he certainly seems to be doing that he played exceptionally well to win the dutch open played really well in romania uh, was unlucky to not win a title in the end lost 4-3 in the quarters to Scott Marsh, dropped a 3-0 lead in that one, an average 99 in defeat, and then lost the Romanian Classic final to Luke Littler. So he's in tremendous nick, and I I would go out right and say I think Yellow will win one of the events in Breen Sands. I think the others, uh, friend of the show, Sean McDonald, is in action. Uh, he'll be looking for a good result. Same for fellow friend of the show, John Scott. They'll both be looking for, for good weekends in Somerset. Uh, and I'll be looking out as well and hoping for good results for Martin Turner, who was on the show a few weeks ago, enjoying a real resurgence this year. And, of course, Jim McEwen, who is one of my favourite players to watch on tour and a lovely bloke to boot. In terms of the unseeded talent to, to keep an eye on, uh, I could have listed hundreds of names, um, but a few that I've I've picked out and I think could go really well, Chaz Barstow, Mike Gillett had a really good run in Romania. I think it was one semi-final and one last 16 for him. So he's obviously in good nick. Graham Hall, been playing very well this year. He looks like a real cert to get a tour card next year. Uh, Got to the final of the Welsh Classic earlier this year, which he lost to Barry Copeland. And I think both Barry and Graham are players to watch. Barry's a fantastic finisher, really good combination finisher whereas Graham is much more about the power-scoring side of his game. So both of those will be good to watch. Michael Huntley got to the final of one of the ADC events this past weekend, not a million miles away from his home as well, this Breen Sands event. Actually, Michael was one of a, a number of Welshmen in the field because uh, Breen Sands is, is, that much more, is that much closer to the Welsh border. So you've got the likes of Mark Challenger, Liam Meek, John Williams-Jones, who wouldn't normally have travelled if it was in Celsea, but because it's on their doorstep, are there, and all of them could could prove dangerous and have deep runs. Jamie Lewis, Kai Fan Leung, Adam Mould, he's been playing some very good stuff this year. Uh, Greg Ritchie, as well as Scotland, he's also been... A, he's been bubbling away on the W F Tour. Greg Ritchie. He's had some good runs here and there, and lost out in a few last-leg deciders. So I think he could... If one of those last-leg games goes his way, he could have a deep run as well, but I think my uh, my hopeful pick in the the men's is probably Willem Mandigas because uh Willem's throw will never not amaze me. Uh and because of his fantastic throw I always want him to, to do well. I think I've got a soft spot for him really. Uh in terms of the women, Bo Greaves will be the favourite as per, particularly with no Lisa Ashton or Fallon Sherrick there. But Rianne O'Sullivan is playing again on the WF tour. And I think this will be the weekend where she gets over the line and wins her first WDF comp in 10 years. Uh, So there's a couple of firm predictions there for me. Rihanna Sullivan to win a title and Yella Klaassen to win a title. Probably not the boldest predictions in the world, but going to make them here and now. You know, regardless of who wins, it should be some good competitive action anyway. And uh, it's been good competitive action that's been the order of the day in New Zealand over the last four or five weeks or so, after they've got back to playing competitive darts again after a lengthy COVID hiatus. After reaching a final and winning a WDF event this year, Wendy Harper joins the show to talk the return of darts to New Zealand, why she missed Lakeside earlier this year, and her joy at qualifying for the Australian Darts Open next month. I'm now delighted to be joined by New Zealand's Wendy Harper. Wendy, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Nice to have you back on the show. Last time uh, we had you on the show, it was back this time last year, actually. You were playing really well, but after that, there were only a couple more big tournaments in New Zealand and then everything shut down again because of COVID. How frustrating was it when when everything sort of shut down again?
2: Oh, indescribable. You just start getting into a routine and, and know where you're heading and then make all your plans and then 24 hours later all your plans have got changed and your flights are no good anymore because you've got nowhere to go.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's
2: totally frustrating.
0: At that point, I know you were big into the online darts before then, so did you go back to playing a lot of that or did you put the darts in the cupboard for a little bit?
2: Um, I, yeah, I sort of had a bit of a break. As there was nothing to really play for. I, as I think I said to you at the last interview, I like to have a goal, something to strive towards each year. And all those goals got taken away because we had no tournaments to play. So I sort of gave it away for a little while, about three three or four months. I had the odd bit here and there. And then Lavinia from Desired Shots got hold of me and said she was starting up another league um, about two months ago. And I thought, oh, I really can't be bothered. And then my husband said, go on, get into it and get back on that dartboard. <laughs> so so I, I hopped in and joined a league. And, yeah, that sort of got me motivated again. And about the same time, the blurb came out for the Australian Darts Open. Mm. So it, it just actually worked out really well. It, it gave me a goal to work towards. So, yeah, I, I got back on the board again.
0: Hmm. Lovely. Because of how you played last year, you finished the season top in the New Zealand regional rankings, and that qualified you for the WDF World Championships at Lakeside. Now, I know when we spoke before, you said that you know playing at the World Championship was a goal of yours, but you ended up turning the place down. Why was that?
2: Well, at that stage, it was being played in January. Um, we still had... Covid restrictions i.e we had to have miq managed isolation when we got back to the country and you weren't guaranteed to get a room for your seven days isolation period and being in january was in the middle of winter over in england and Covid was pretty rife with the new ongoing strain that had just hit the whole world so personal health became my priority really so it was a very hard decision to make because I had worked hard to get that situation to go there but yeah as it turned out it was moved to April and by then things had changed dramatically here and owned over in England so I could have just flown straight home not had any MIQ or anything but by then I'd I'd given my spot away and that was the end of that story. (laughs)
0: Ah. So when when they had the issues in March with the the Russian players and so on, were you reoffered the spot that you'd turned down before, or did they not speak to you again?
2: No, no, I didn't get spoken to again. I was sort of hoping I might have squeezed in the back door with that, but no. Um, as Desi, our number two ranked player, she went over there and did the job. I was I was proud of her. She did us did us well. But, um, yeah, I, I, I was a little bit disappointed having to make that decision. But I had to look after my own health and I couldn't quite figure out how I was going to get back in the country. And I didn't want to be stranded in England. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a hard decision to make. But, oh, well, there's always this year, Andrew.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I imagine you sort of agonised over the decision for a while after you made it. And then the tournament got moved. Was there an element of you that sort of regretted having turned the place down? Or were you happy with the decision you'd made originally? A bit of both.
2: <laughs> I know that's not a very good answer. But yeah, I, I was still happy with my decision. But I was still, I, w- I would have changed my decision if I'd known it was going to be changed. But that's, that's life. I don't dwell on the past. I look forward to the future.
0: Hmm. Yeah of course And uh, there were three Kiwis in action At Lakeside Did you manage to watch their, their games And see how they got on?
2: Um, I watched a couple um, The coverage wasn't that great here So I managed to watch Desi's game And Landon's game But yeah just the way things turned out We we did okay But as I say We find it hard competing over in England And, and the rest of the world I think Hopi sort of mentioned it a little bit in his last interview the fact that we play section play round robin and then play a knockout after that so we get a chance to warm up our game get our headspace in the right place when you go to a tournament and it's just a straight knockout it's a totally different headspace and and game basically you've got to be out of the blocks playing at 100 percent Hmm. so we are at a bit of a disadvantage as far as that goes that we don't get the same preparation that we're used to when we go and play overseas
0: Hmm. that's interesting because that was something i was gonna touch on because hope i did mention that to me recently do you feel it would be of a benefit to you if new zealand dark council or you know other organizations in new zealand offered more of those straight knockout competitions so that you were more familiar with having to be at your best from game one.
2: Totally. Um, it doesn't have to be all the tournaments in the country that they run, but to get some sort of a um, a handle on how it's all played and, and knowing that you've got to be on the ball right from the beginning of the day, it, it's got to help you at the end of the day to compete overseas.
0: Hmm. Yeah, definitely. But the,
2: the rebuttal for that is the fact that it does cost people a lot to travel in New Zealand, locally. I know it's not a very big country, but, yeah, you know, it can cost me up to $700 for a return flight to go to Invercargill. If you go down there for only one game, um, people just don't attend, so the powers, but I can see their side of things, you know, people want to get value for money. Mm. So, with section play, at least they're going to get five, four or five games, and not if, if they don't qualify
0: then uh, they've got a bit of value for money Mm, that's very true i suppose i know we we sort of touched on the, the travel being expensive last time i was going to ask whether the the sort of the covid times have made the traveling more expensive but i imagine with the the fuel prices being sky high and so on around the world it would have been more expensive anyway
2: oh very much so um even just to fly over to australia now like last year or before covid we could get a return flight to, say, Melbourne or Brisbane for around $350, 400 Well, now we're looking at $1,000 for a return flight. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not cheap anymore. <laughs> well, it was never cheap, but it's, it's getting a bit
0: tougher. Now, the WDF circuit came back to New Zealand in June. How much earlier than that did sort of local clubs and local events kick off again?
2: club didn't get going until must have been March so we had to wait until our level had dropped um, from red to orange so our venue could host people without needing to be seated and served
1: hmm.
2: um, so yeah a lot a lot of clubs had started prior to that they got around it by having the venue as a private function we were playing out of an RSA, which is a Returned Servicemen Association club, and we couldn't we couldn't do that for a while. So yeah, we were one of the last clubs to actually get up and running.
0: When you had that first tournament of the year, the Canterbury Open, uh, got to the final, lost to young Nicole Renault, Did you feel a little bit uh, sort of rusty or out of match practice when that tournament came around?
2: Oh, totally. <laughs> Everybody in the country was the same. Being the first ranked tournament for the year, basically, um, we were all a little bit rusty, and and we certainly didn't shine how we were twelve months prior. Um, but yeah, everyone was in the same boat, so it, it was it was quite interesting seeing everyone complain about their darts the whole day.
0: You and Nicole have already met a couple of times in tournaments this year. Is it nice to have sort of a, a real youngster keeping you on your toes? Hot,
2: yeah. Just amazing. She's going to be one of our top future players. Um, she, as I say, she's still only young. She's got the the whole world in front of her, um, and she does keep me on the toes. We've had a couple of finals, but yeah, one's gone one way, one's gone the other way. But uh, no, she's a, and she's a lovely girl with it. Um, her mum goes with her everywhere she goes. Yolanda is just such a great support. Her mum and dad are amazing. Um, But yeah, no, Nick's just a fabulous player. She's got her head screwed on. She knows what she wants and and hopefully she gets there in the end.
0: And how have the the numbers been, particularly for the ladies' competitions this year, relative to to last year or even pre-COVID?
2: Fractionally down so far, I think there is still COVID in the country and there are still quite a few players that are hesitant to turn up to a hall with you know 85 men and 30 women um being in a close space so yeah the numbers are still down and, and a lot of the i shouldn't say old people but the the mature players are sort of still holding back a little bit because of covid um i say well if i'm going to get it i'm going to get it i've had all my shots and my boosters and everything, but yeah, touch wood, I haven't been blessed with it yet, or, or whatever you'd call it. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the numbers are down, and I'm I'm pretty sure that's got a bit to do with it.
0: The second event of the year, the New Zealand Masters, was a couple of weeks later. You won that final 5-1. Mentally, in terms of your game, did you feel a lot better than you had for that first tournament?
2: Yeah, I learnt from my mistakes. <laughs> I um, I have a bad habit of forgetting to eat when I'm playing. Well, I don't forget. I just don't feel hungry. And when I played Nick in Christchurch at the first event, I got to the I actually got to the semi-finals, and I just felt absolutely flat. And then I realised I hadn't eaten anything all day. So I get to Wellington two weeks later, and I, I said to my friend that I was staying with my my bestest friend Polly, can you please do one job for me? She goes, sure mate, what's that? Can you please ensure that I eat something during the day? She goes, Yep, I'm on it. So come lunchtime, I came back from my section play and there's a, a chicken sandwich sitting on my handbag. <laughs> <laughs> so I had fuel in my tank and I um I didn't feel tired or, or exhausted at all. So yeah, I I did learn from my mistakes in Canterbury. <laughs>
0: Well, see, it shows that you can you can always be learning new things.
2: Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> and I was a little bit more match match fit as well. Mm. Um, they do say that um, you know dance isn't a physical game, but it's when you're playing all day from nine in the morning and you're playing with a lot of sitting around waiting for games in between times and you're playing the finals at at 7, 8 o'clock at night, Um, you have to be match fit, and and there is an amount of physical fitness that you need to be able to do that.
0: So those performances this year, obviously added to some of the points from last year as well, have got you to the Australian Darts Open, which you've already said was your your goal. Having missed out on the, the World Championship, how much are you relishing that opportunity to play against some of the top female players?
2: dream of mine that has been for a long time to have the opportunity to play against the likes of Lisa Ashton and Makura Suzuki. I have played Makura once before. Um, It was a good game, but yeah, um, just my idol, Lisa, she's just phenomenal. Um, I just hope I, I give her a bit of a game when I get the chance to play her. But yeah, just an amazing opportunity. I, I've got to thank Darts Australia for giving New Zealand invitations to go to that. I don't know, I've, I've seen a few posts you know, how come New Zealanders are playing in our tournament? Um, I'm like, well, because we want to. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we are I'm totally amazed. I'm grateful that we've got the opportunity to do this. Mm. I know when they ran it in 2019, there was a, a, quite a strong contingent of Kiwi players went over to the qualifiers, um, and they all came back saying, "What an amazing tournament! You know, they thoroughly enjoyed it and couldn't wait for the next one." So I'm not sure if any of the other ladies that haven't actually qualified will go over and, and have another crack at it this year. It'd be great if we did have, have a you know a, a team to go over.
0: Hmm. No. Yeah. Definitely. And so is is Lisa Ashton the one that you want to be drawn in the same group as?
2: I know I'll probably get my ass kicked, but yeah, no, I, I'd be honoured to have a game against Lisa. Um, she, she's a force to be reckoned with. I have seen her play in person, and yeah, I could sit there watching her throw darts all day long. She's just a phenomenal player.
0: No, oh, for sure. So I've
2: just got to hope I'm on my A game and she's playing her C game, and I might get a leg off her.
0: <laughs> I enjoyed one of the when we spoke last time. One of the things that stuck with me was when you said that sort of one of your your most memorable tournament wins was uh, over in Australia where you got to meet Phil Taylor and uh, sort of the the boys from home that had travelled with you broke out in a hucker when you won. Um, Have you been to Australia, aside from sort of that tournament, string of tournaments, have you been to Australia before for for other competitions? Yeah, I've
2: done a bit of travelling over there. Um, My husband and I actually got a caravan and a land cruiser based over there and we've had three or four years just tripping around um doing the odd tournament in our travels and been through and done the Alice Springs Open and then the Tennant Creek Gold Nugget and um yeah we just rock up with our caravan and decide oh there's a tournament here we'll go there and take two months to get there (laughs) so yeah I know a lot of the Aussie players as well through doing that and and the other tournaments that we all get together and it's like over there it's just a big family.
0: So where, where's the caravan and Land Cruiser Park now then?
2: It's up in Townsville, which is a little bit far to go and pick it up and go to Moama for the <laughs> Australian Open. Uh,
0: okay. Yeah, that was that was gonna <laughs> yeah, be my
2: question.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was gonna be my question, was are you gonna fly and then drive the caravan to the tournament? But uh yeah, going up there would probably be quite a way out of your way. <laughs> yeah, just a little. It'll take us a couple
2: of months to get from top to bottom.
0: <laughs> yes, uh I was uh I had Amanda Locke on the podcast a couple of months ago and she was saying how they'd driven I think it was something like twenty hours from Queensland to South Australia and then another eight hours across to Victoria and then 19 hours back to Queensland in the space of a fortnight. And I was just like, no, that's, that's far too much commitment.
2: Yeah, I know. I do feel for the Aussie players over there to go from one state to another is, is a real mission. Our, our country from top to bottom is not, not as far as one, one top to the bottom in Australia. Um, but yeah, if they want to go for a, a tournament that's like seven hours drive, they jump in the car first thing in the morning and off they go. It's like, my God, I couldn't do that.
0: <laughs> oh. And having already qualified for the Australian Darts Open, which was the main goal, is that why you opted to, to give the South Island Masters a mess the weekend just gone?
2: Yeah, it was, okay. that was another hard decision for me. I, I seem to have hard decisions forced upon myself. Um, once I had qualified in Wellington I knew no one could pass me at the Invercargill one but I also had my son and my grandkids flying up that same week they were here the day before I got back from Wellington and they were here for a week's holiday which would have meant I'd come home on the Monday and have to fly down to Invercargill on the Thursday and not get to see my grandkids and my son very much so I decided I I had enough points to go to Australia, I'll flag the Invercargill one, so I've lost my number one spot, Nick, Nick with winning, passed me in the um, the regional tables now, she's number one and I'm number two, so yeah, it was a hard call, but I'll take that one on the chin.
0: Well obviously there are still a number of events uh, left this year in New Zealand though, hoping that you know things don't go wrong again. Uh, and one of them before the Australian Open is that the New Zealand Open, at the end of July, which is now a a gold, and that's obviously got World Championship places attached to it. So I imagine all your efforts and your practice are going into to going up to Motueka and, and getting a big performance there. Yeah, well,
2: it's in Rotorua, actually this uh, year. Okay. Um, but yes, a gold event for New Zealand is phenomenal. So. Yeah, first place gets automatic entry into the, the world, so that, that will be a mission, um, but I'll, I'll give it a crack. That, that's, that's number one priority, and then um, we've got another silver-ranking tournament in Wellington on the 13th of August, um, the John Wilkie Memorial. So I've um, booked my flights to go to that one, which is I think I won that one last year. So, yeah, there's there's still some good tournaments to get my rankings back up, but, oh, we'll just have to wait and see what
1: happens.
2: (laughs) I take each game as it comes.
0: But uh, I suppose if you were to, whether it's through the ranking table, New Zealand Open, whatever it is, I imagine if you do qualify for that World Championship next year, playing there will feel all the sweeter, having had to to forsake that opportunity this year.
2: Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Um... I don't know, I I just take it one one tournament at a time, and if it works, it works, and if it doesn't, oh well, it is what it is. Um, You always have one of those where you have a bad day at the office, so it's one of of my mantras is to be a good winner, you have to be a great loser. Um, So yeah, I, I take it on the chin, and I say, you can't win them all. But I try.
0: <laughs> and uh, just as a last thing, then from me, when we spoke last time, you said you wanted to give a mention to your the sort of the manufacturers of your darts and also your sponsors, and you didn't get the opportunity to do it or, or forgot to do it. So the floor is now yours to sort of say any thank yous that you want to. Oh, um, I only
2: have I have one sponsor. Uh, Lorraine Earnshaw was. Dart Shop Manukau but she's now closed up the shop and moved up north um, but she's still my, my one and only sponsor and I'm very very happy um, to have a sponsor it was like finally have some recognition for what I have achieved over the years and Shot Darts and Catty Cat I'm using their tribal weapons series one darts and I absolutely adore them I've, I've been playing with them for about three years now Love them to pieces, but my only drawback with them, I don't know whether it's my age or whatever, but I the aggressive grip on them wears out really fast. So we just have to work on that once. <laughs> but, yeah, th- th- those are my 2 shadows, And obviously my husband, who supports me wherever I go and opens up his wallet and lets me buy air tickets to go where I need to go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: carries
2: my bag when I need him to. I couldn't do it
0: without him. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Wendy. I really appreciate it. And I wish you the best of luck for, for the New Zealand Open, the Australian Open and the rest of the year as well. And hopefully get to see you over in Europe later this year for, for the World Masters, maybe the World Championship as well.
2: Oh, thank you, Andrew.
0: Fingers crossed. Always a pleasure talking to Wendy. She's, she's tremendous fun to talk to. I said this you know, after I spoke to Hopai Puha last week, but it's so good to see darts up and running in New Zealand again after so long. And it's good to see good darts being thrown as well and competition at the top of the rankings, whether that's in the men with Hopai and Ben Robb or in the women's with Wendy Harper and Nicole Raynaud. It's nice to see some, you know, rivalries and competition developing there. Uh, I'm pleased for Wendy regarding her qualification for the Australian Open because... Having missed the World Championship earlier this year through an entirely understandable decision uh, based on the situation at the time, this is giving her that second window to play the likes of Mikuru Suzuki, Bo Greaves and, of course, Lisa Ashton, uh, who, as you said, she's in such great admiration for. The Australian Open proved a, a subject of debate for me last week. Uh, lots of people on Twitter saying a lot of different things, uh, all of them probably wrong in some way, and that includes myself. All came about because James Hurrell, the men's W.F. number one, withdrew from the tournament, as did the W.F. Ladies number two, Dieter Hedman. Uh, they've cited the costs involved in getting out to Australia, and I know Dieter, in particular, mentioned the inability to to afford the unpaid leave that she'd have to take. I think some people misread my post and assumed that I was criticising James or. In some way, Dita for pulling out. No, I wasn't. Their decisions are totally fair. At the end of the day, whether you like the term or not, these players are still fundamentally amateur. Uh, playing darts on the tour is a sideline to the main jobs that they have that pay the bills and look after their families. You know that you know. In James's case, he's got a lot of you know he's got a number of young children to worry about. Um, Dita's got her commitments as well, and they have to make the right calls for them, not just for that tournament, but for the rest of the year. You know, Dita's more or less allocated all of her holiday for this financial year, so she can't then just take a fortnight of unpaid leave. Um, that's just not how the world works. Sometimes you have to make tough decisions, uh, but at the end of the day, if the players are making the right decision for them and they're making it for the right reasons, then that's absolutely the right decision to be made, regardless of whether you want to see them play in that tournament or not. My gripe with them pulling out was more to do with the fact that it seemed as though the Federation weren't fully covering their costs, which you would expect them to be doing if these players are playing in, in, in an invitational overseas. Uh, I know that's not how it necessarily works with the World Championships, but this seemed much more of a, a selective tournament. You know, the World number 1 and World number 2 get in, the world champion get in, and obviously for the ladies there were the guest spots for Lisa and Mikuru, you thought, or at least I thought, uh, that those players would all be having their costs covered for this tournament because it felt like a a World Series-esque invitational. Now, that doesn't seem to be the case. I've heard that some of the players are having their costs covered, but others obviously aren't. You know, Dita posted that she wasn't, James isn't and I know having spoken to Wendy when we finished recording I know her costs aren't being covered either so it's very hard to tell how it's actually working really you know the ins and outs of who's having what covered and who isn't but I put my two penny without there I probably didn't articulate myself as well as I could or should have done but you know there you go there are always going to be people who are naturally contrarian who are going to object to what you said anyway so for some people you can't win, but uh, if some people got the wrong end of the stick and want to talk about it further, then you know DMs are open. I spoke to James Earl's manager you know, there and then the other day and he totally understood where I was coming from and I understood where him and James were coming from. So don't get it twisted that I was having a go at the players because that's not what it was at all. I think there is a wider question about the validity of what is, as I've said, a World Series esque Invitational being a ranked tournament, I think the Australian Open worked fine in twenty nineteen without being ranked. But I understand that this time it was because Australia wanted a gold or or something more than that, and they've clearly you know got the financial backing to pay the sanctioning fees. So if they're ticking those boxes, I can get why it, why it is what it is. we um, you know whether that's the right thing or not you know, remains to be seen. But in many ways, I don't want to get so into the weeds about this tournament, because at the end of the day, I think that more opportunities like this for WDF players and more opportunities for players around the world, like the Australian and Kiwi players involved in this, are a net good for the sport. Darts could and should be an incredibly global sport, and events like this are a way of broadening horizons. And ultimately, as a fan... I think that this should be a great event, and as a fan, it's one I'm looking forward to. So in a way, now we've had this conversation about whether it should have ranking points or whether the WDF should be funding the players to go out there or not, I feel that now I can look ahead as a fan and put that analyst hat away until at least after the tournament's finished. Moving on from that, I did mention the England Open weekend earlier in the show. There's also a doubleheader this weekend in Serbia. It's two bronze events and it's not great numbers to be perfectly honest. There are 35 men and 7 women. Uh, But there are Eastern European ranking points on the line and those points, given the people that are there, could very much shape the race for the World Championship places. In the men's three players I've picked out. To, to watch are Benjamin Pratnamer from Slovenia. If Benjamin plays like he did in Hungary recently, when he banged in a 104 average in one of the finals, he'll walk both of the tournaments. But again, he is prone to a bit of double trouble, so you don't know. Uh, I think Lazlo Kadar, he's always dangerous, incredibly consistent. And then the third one, I was initially going to say Gabor Takač from Hungary because he's won two events this year. But I'm going to go in a different direction, and I'm going to say Greece's Tassos Argy. I've probably butchered that, but uh, Tassos looked really sharp in Romania, one of the first WDF comps he's played, and I know he's been playing a lot of online darts as well. So he's obviously sharp, and in a fairly small field like that, you know, it's easy easier in some ways to to take your chances and maybe pick up a title that you perhaps wouldn't have got elsewhere. So they're the three men I'd I'd recommend looking at. In the ladies, Yitka over from the Czech Republic already has a massive lead in the ladies' rankings. I think it's 69 points over Veronica Ihash. And uh, Veronica's not there at present. She's not registered to go. So if Yitka is there and she plays the way she's been playing for the last month or so, she could easily pick up another couple of titles. And then suddenly she's won five titles in the space of about a month and she's going to be miles clear in those regional rankings and more or less impossible to catch unless Veronica wins the last two or three events of the year. Now, that's not to say that Yick has absolutely going to win tournaments. That's not necessarily true. But she has been on the best form of the seven ladies currently registered. So you would have to think that she will be the favourite. That's all for this week. Big thank you to Alexander and Wendy for their time and to you for listening. Your support is always greatly appreciated. I'll be back next week, recapping the action from England and Serbia, and there'll also be two more fun interviews. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at amsinclair97. You can follow the podcast at Inside the WDF. You can like the Facebook page, Inside the WDF, and you can rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see you on the other side.